Hello and welcome to this podcast produced by the International Monetary Fund. I'm Jocelyn Frank. Historically, low-income countries rich in natural resources have performed worse economically than might have been expected. They can fall prey to conflict, corruption, or over-dependency on that resource. Paul Collier from the Center for the Study of African Economies at Oxford University researched this so-called resource curse. And even with a term as negative as that, Collier remains hopeful that these countries can learn from the mistakes of the past and rise from their low-income status. If we look at the history of resource extraction in Africa and elsewhere, it's not not a happy history. In fact, it's a history of plunder. So the task is to make sure that history doesn't repeat itself. You know, societies don't have to repeat history. They're not condemned to repeat mistakes. There's a thing called social learning, uh, but that's what has to happen in Africa. So what are some recommendations that you might suggest for saving and investing in those natural resources? It must be pretty challenging to choose to save in that kind of context. Yeah, it's not devote everything to the future. People are poor now. But if everything is devoted just to raising consumption in the present, then the future will be as poor as the present. So part of the task is to, is to smooth spending so you don't get these booms followed by crashes. You need one set of institutions which kind of rides the tiger of commodity prices, saves something in good times and pulls that money back into consumption in bad times. I call those sovereign resilience funds. You put the money in when you've got plenty of money, you take it out when you haven't. Alongside a sovereign resilience fund is a sovereign development fund. It finances the schools, the ports, the hospitals, the roads, power stations that build a more productive future. Africa's been starved of economic infrastructure. It really needs to devote serious money to that task of building productive infrastructure. Can you give me an example of uh, a particular place that has done a good job at that? Botswana. Botswana's done a splendid job of riding the tiger. Botswana's had two episodes where its revenues from its only export, which is diamonds, fell pretty well to zero. Terrible, terrible shocks. And because they'd been prudent and built up a big financial cushion, they could ride through those shocks, even though for several months there was no revenue. The other economy is, uh, is Malaysia. If we go back 40 years, Malaysia looked just like Africa. It was resource-rich, got all sorts of social problems, a lot of social tensions, and people were forecasting the worst. What Malaysia did was harness the revenues from natural resources to invest so that it could diversify its economy out of natural resources. For example, uh, the government invested in Penang. Penang used to be a dirt-poor fishing area. It's now a world-beating electronics center because the government put in the the physical infrastructure and the social infrastructure that made the Penang area attractive for skilled people to go to so that uh, an electricity uh, export industry could take off. So is that diversification appropriate in all contexts? I mean, is that something that Botswana, for example, should now be pursuing, even though they had a good strategy of saving? Should they be following the lead of Malaysia and also diversifying their markets? Botswana's been trying, but Botswana has 
big disadvantages that uh, Malaysia didn't have. Botswana is landlocked, and so it's very much harder for a landlocked country to actually integrate into, uh, into global markets in a diversified way. It's now trying to do that rather intelligently um, by trying to break into the market for cutting and trading diamonds, as well as just digging them out of the ground. And that's a clever move for Botswana, and I think it'll succeed. So there are clearly very distinct circumstances for every country to consider. Are there a few bullet point ideas that they should be keeping in mind as they're developing these strategies? Yes. First of all, realize that it's, there's nobody to copy out there. The rich countries, most of them, were never natural resource rich. And so their development strategy, completely different. The few rich countries that are resource rich, Canada, Australia, even they are not a good guide to what to do. For example, they save their money abroad because they've already got huge amounts of capital. Africa needs to save its money at home. It needs investment within Africa. So distinctive challenges and so distinctive policies. Where are you going to get guidance? There's one independent source I can point to, and that is a thing called the Natural Resource Charter. Naturalresourcecharter.org sets out guidance on the whole decision chain from how you discover and tax natural assets to how you invest and save. It's completely independent. The board is headed by former president Ernesto Zedillo, former president of Mexico. He said, I saw oil ruin Mexico. There was a huge opportunity which turned bad. I don't want that to happen elsewhere. The board is entirely southern. There's a head of the Arab Development Fund, a former African prime minister, Mo Ibrahim, the philanthropist, there's a Chinese. There's not a single northerner on this board. The big opportunity facing a lot of Africa is its natural resources. Commodity prices are high, and over the next decade, that will trigger a lot of natural resource discovery in Africa. If Africa manages to capture that money and harness it for development, that's really the big opportunity for Africa to finance its own development. Its fate will be in its own hands. That was Paul Collier of Oxford University. He spoke at a seminar earlier this week on commodity price volatility here at the International Monetary Fund. And we'll have more interviews with participants from that seminar at www.imf.org slash podcasts.